welcome to CAD Speaker Series Podcast. This week, Huber Wu, CAD Student Ambassador, is interviewing James Brading, the author of Swiss Made, the untold story behind Switzerland's success. James just delivered a talk on his upcoming book, Too Small to Fail, which analyzes a number of successful countries that have created virtues out of their physical limitations. The book attempts to understand what they do differently and why they seem to do it better. All right, well, James, thank you for um, joining us today. Um, for those who... Thank you for having me. <laughs> no, problems, no problems at all. Um, for those that aren't aware, your, your first book, um, Swiss Made, um, has made quite a splash and somewhat ironically, um, given that... Um, it, it is the story of, of Switzerland punching above its weight in so many dimensions, um, why it's not just a country of, of cuckoo clocks, chocolates and and cheese. And um, the astounding success of that book has seen it published in um, over 10 languages, handed out as an official diplomatic gift and is um, said by many to be the most authoritative work on your country's socio-economic history. So what do you attribute to the, the book's success well, I think there's probably, I mean, three things come to mind. Yeah. One is that, you know, I think people are interested to learn about success. So, you know, given the fact that Switzerland has ranked the most competitive country in the last seven years yeah. in succession um, by a number of different rating agencies like the World Economic Forum, you know, people uh, admire success and, and hope to emulate it. So I think that's one element that was somehow an attraction to the book. I think, I think the other thing is that the Swiss brand is, is relatively well-known, but kind of a latent brand where, you know, it's it's a subtle brand, but, it, you know, a lot of people have been to Switzerland. They've spent a few days or weekends skiing in St. Moritz or going to the World Economic Forum or having some dealings with some of their companies, whether it's um, Novartis or Nestle's or, or UBS's. So, but, you know, I think because of that, they have some sort of um, familiarity with the country, but um, which was quite helpful. But I, I think what the book tried to do was to really, as you point out, to to really sort of um, describe uh, Switzerland as it, really did, as it really is, as opposed to these sort of stereotypes that it's considered to, to be. And I think that achieves some level of interest. I think the third thing is that I found the Swiss people to be quite proud. Um, and even though it's sort of uh, you know, socially condoned to boast about your country or to is con- you know, sort of considered to be a bit of a show-off to to behave like that because they're fundamentally quite modest people. I think deep down what I discovered is that they're actually quite proud and, mm-hmm. and I think they sort of, I hit a nerve of national, I, I probably touched a bit of a nerve of national pride that uh, as evidenced by the fact that these embassies sort of came on board afterwards. As I said, it wasn't by design, but... Yeah. You know, meanwhile, 50 Swiss embassies give the book as a diplomatic gift, and, and in fact, two Swiss ambassadors undertook it on their own um, to um, actually translate a Vietnamese version and a Polish version, which we had never envisaged uh, wow. as having. So, you know, which was quite interesting. We just we donated the manuscript to to make that yeah. possible. Great, and thanks for that. On on that topic of stereotypes and um, and national pride. Um, so you're now working on a new book that extends many of the ideas in Swiss Made to other countries around the world. And so when it comes to your, the, the new book project you're working on, Too Small to Fail, 
um, why small countries can, can outperform um, larger ones and the lessons that can be learned um, from that. Curious to know, how, how did the idea for this second book evolve um, mm. following your first book? Well, I, I was speaking to one of the senior members of um, civil service in Switzerland, quite a well-known ambassador, and actually it sort of came from his idea. At that time, he was a Swiss ambassador to Singapore, and mm -hmm. he hosted an event, and, and Tommy Coe was there, who's quite a um, legendary figure in Singapore, who was sort of the spiritus rector um, behind Lee Kuan Yew's policies. Mm -hmm. And we were having dinner, and, and you know the idea came up about maybe doing a book where we compare Switzerland against other countries that are smaller that have also been successful, including Singapore. And, and there's a lot of that. You find people in Singapore yeah. wanting to compare themselves to Switzerland, and then you know people are, people are also quite interested to understand how countries like Denmark, you know, uh, Lance Pritchard wrote a book, that, or a chapter of a book called Getting to Denmark, which was quite interesting when he was at the World Bank. Yeah. So I think these things are just sort of swirling around in my head, and, and I, I had this idea that I just sort of, as um, as a hypothesis, I just sort of tested it around with people I, I admire, and it seemed to resonate. Um, and I think, you know, maybe another factor was that there are quite a number of books, you know, in, in contrast that were sort of anti Too Small to Fail, which is, you know, Why Nations Fail, which was quite a successful book. And, yes. and Ricardo Hausman, and I'm here because of Ricardo Hausman, which is... It sounds, I mean, to some extent, ironic, but you know, Ricardo Hausman, who's um, heads the Center for International Development, who's hosting me, actually has a class about you know why countries fail, and and um, so I thought, you know, sort of intellectually, I felt, you know, the way people tend to work, say engineers work, is they they they, they look at something which is really successful, and then they reverse engineer, and so I th I thought to myself, well, you know, rather than being negative and pejorative and Critical. Why not try to find something which works really well, and then ask yourself whether it's worthy of um, study and consideration, possible replications in some ways, mm -hmm. uh, reverse engineering. So that was that's sort of what came up. How I came up with the idea. Fantastic. And you you mentioned Professor Hasman. Um, so you're here now as as a fellow at the CID. You've been here before, and on those subjects that you're keen to explore, mm. what would you say are maybe the the top one or two ideas in this hypothesis of yours against the, um, you know, much of the existing, you know, literature or um, even stereotypes and conventional wisdom out there of why small countries may not mm. outperform larger ones. Well, maybe I just tell you a little bit about the structure of the book, that at least how it's envisaged. I'm, I'm working on the book now, and that's why I have the fellowship. So, mm. and by the way, we're we're recruiting people who are interested to to help on the research of the book, but the first half of the book talks about what I call secret sauces. Um, and the second part of the book is specific policy examples of countries that have actually achieved something in a very specific area and are winning. Um, and then the third part of the book just talks about um, what the future of nation states may look like. And that's the structure of the book. So one would probably have to look at each each of those three categories, but so the secret sauces. I think there it's pretty well known that you know these these companies um, or this, these countries are you know very excel with regard to innovation. They're also very open with regard to trade, so they're inclined to export. And in a country like Switzerland, if you have five or six employees, you're very soon exporting 
to uh, Germany or France or, or Great Britain or the United States. So um, you have to be you know, quite nimble and quite open to, to foreign markets, uh, which also makes you very vulnerable. So that's one of the aspects which is probably a bit counterintuitive, and that's why the title, Too Small to Fail, that's where it originated, that small countries tend to be more paranoid, more vulnerable, mm -hmm. and that makes them more adaptive, much more sensitive to threats, to, to opportunities, and I think that's that's an element which could be quite interesting. You know, another element which is quite counterintuitive is these countries tend to be very modest people, and, and I assert in the book that modesty in, in a world, the sort of world that we're living today, actually can be a comparative advantage. Um, and so there are, you know, sort of interesting aspects on the secret sauce side. You know, the specific examples of policies can be <clears throat> situations like Australia, how they instituted gun controls, and, you know, in, in a very similar way, they had a population, sort of this Clint Eastwood population with guns on the back of, of you're from Australia, I know that, Hubert, so I, yep. you know, <laughs> hopefully you agree with this assessment or, or <laughs> keep quiet. But, <laughs> no, I, <laughs> but you know, you, you, you have yep. this sort of macho, you know, outback, um, Clint Eastwood, I call them sort of Clint Eastwood types, and mm -hmm. it was quite remarkable just studying what they did and how they um, managed to sort out the problem. And, you know, I think that could be quite interesting for people to learn about. Uh, for example, here, yes. um, you, you have the Finnish success story turning around their primary education system, which is a remarkable story. And thanks to Howard Gardner, the, you know, Professor Gardner from the Graduate School of Education, I'm in touch with Posse Salberg, who's going to help us with that chapter. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, the, the Danish pension fund has been much more forthright in, in embracing, you know, tremendous changes in, in assumptions with regard to retirement savings, whether it's the, uh, you know, the prolongation of life or the, the ratio of, of workers to retirees or the opportunity set of returns that are available given a, a incredibly low interest rate. So, you know, it's quite interesting to sort of analyze, um, you know, countries that have been more receptive and, and realistic about these sorts of things. Um, you know, things like environment, which countries are actually, you know, in the sort of on the cutting edge of, of instituting environmental policies. So that's the second part of the book. And then the last part of the book really challenges um, a lot of the traditional assumptions about the size of countries. And it, it draws on the work of Alberto Alessina um, and Enrico Spolari, who did this wonderful book called The Size of Nations. Mm -hmm. And basically saying there's a trade-off between the benefits of scale uh, and the constraints of heterogeneity or loss of homogeneity. And historically, of course, you know, scale was a fantastic thing to have. You know, large domestic markets. Um, uh, you know, access to natural resources, um, an ability to amortize a defense budget over a much larger base of people. But you know, in a day and age now that we live in. Um, one has to question, recalibrate those those um, those cost benefits, yes. and I and, and I'm I'm arguing that that actually the the benefits of scale um, are, are considerably reduced because of um, open markets, because of the cost of transportation, because of the uh, the con sort of constellation of military power, where either you're the United States or 
or China, and therefore you just have to enter into some sort of a cost-sharing arrangement, because otherwise, you know, what's the point in trying to compete against those two powers? I'm being very simplistic with, with, and very quick with these comments, but I think you can get the picture. And at the same time, this heterogeneity issue is, you know, because of the, you know, plethora of the multiplicity of identities that have arisen, um, the breakdown of the families, uh, the, the reduced importance of the church, um, the, you know, the sort of, um, you know, establishment of new identity groups, whether it's LBGTs or ethnicity groups within populations, that it's it's overwhelmed society's ability to, to cope with all that. And, and what this book also argues is that one may revisit the cost benefits of homogeneity and, and heterogeneity. And if you do that, both re re recalibrate on the scale side and recalibrate on the homogeneity side, you'll come to a, a radically different um, uh, size and, and constitution of, of state formation. And that yields all sorts of exciting conclusions that, um, that one could speculate about. Uh, whether some of these countries which are packaged as sort of legacy issues within constructs that were, were not you know, wholly aligned with their ethical interest and historical traditions, whether they, they might may revisit that, or you know, countries like Scotland, uh, Catalonia, etc., whether they might either use that as a bargaining chip to try to extract a superior social contract, or to, in fact, um, you know, just create separate states because the cost benefits are different than they were, say, 50 years ago. So yeah, that's uh, that's where I'm heading. Great, and and that is such an interesting and, and also diverse set of topics within that structure. And one thing just stood out to me that you, you briefly mentioned is the fact that not only is this a work in progress, but you're you're actually looking for help. Mm. So um, I was just wondering if you could unpack um, a little bit about um, how people, whether they be um, students or otherwise, might get involved in your project and the, the type of people that you're, you're looking for. Yeah. Well, so I think um, students. I, first of all, I think it's it's an out, you know it's sort of an outstanding project for someone who has an MPA ID type of formation, or uh, because it's so relevant and compatible with that sort of study. With so development with um, development yeah. because there's, there's so many questions that it throws out. So I think you know, of course, that audience should hopefully be interested in, the, in that type of work. Um, I mean, more specific to the to what we're doing, we we need help, you know, with the secret sauces. So doing comparative analysis of, you know, just analyzing data and, and doing, you know, uh, regression analysis around particular variables, uh, just to sort of really flush out whether these secret sauces are indeed um, attributable to their success. Um, if someone's interested in a specific policy, an economic policy, whether it's gun control or pension funds or retirement systems and of course they can work on, on those specific initiatives um, and then of course we need good writing skills um, so yeah that's basically it and if you come from that one of those countries whether it's Israel or Ireland or Singapore then of course you probably would have you may have an interest to just participate on the basis of, of that because we're, we're seeking yes. local anecdotal you know, real-time, real-life examples and, and, and research and as opposed to sort of top-down from the outside. So that, of course, would be incredibly helpful to have people on the team for, for representing those countries. 
Well, James, thank you again for all of that and, and for, for all your time today. Yeah. Thank you, Hubert. Thank you for having me, and uh, also thank you for the CID for hosting me. If you want to learn more about CID and our events, please visit cid.harvard.edu.